new United Nations report warns the impacts of climate change are increasing and inevitable. Experts say that we have until 2030 to avoid catastrophe. Temperatures in the Arctic have warmed about two or three times It will be very difficult and impossible for our children to control climate change. This is South of Two Degrees, and I am your host, Brian Barnes. It is so good to have you with us today on the only podcast dedicated to bringing unfiltered scientific research to the forefront of the climate conversation. We've got a rather interesting show for you today. So my friends, once more, into the fray. It's really great to have you all back with us again this week, and I hope you both enjoyed and got something out of the last several weeks as we launched our first mini-series, What Stands in Our Way. If you missed it, I would highly recommend you go back and give all three episodes a listen. Additionally, just a reminder, if any of the research I discuss on this show is of interest to you, pop over to southof2degrees.org and click on the citations page link at the top. Citations to every paper we discussed on this show are there with a little blue button that will directly link you to the wonderful peer-reviewed and responsibly published scientific research we pull from to produce this show every week. Before we dive dive in today, and while I know we just wrapped up a bit of a special, I wanted to announce another great event coming up. In collaboration with Climate Reality, the organization founded by former U.S. Vice President Al Gore, I will be participating in their 24 Hours of Reality Countdown to the Future event, occurring October 10th and 11th. I had the distinguished opportunity to work with former Vice President Al Gore over the summer and have been generously loaned the updated version of the presentation he regularly gives. At his personal request, I have agreed to host, as have some other phenomenal leaders from around the globe, a conversation about climate change over the course of a 24-hour period. Now, we will have info up on the website soon if you'd like to register, as well as info on the exact times. The presentation will be focused on the climate crisis how it's impacting us, and what we can do to resolve it. It'll be free, albeit private Zoom meeting, over the course of 30 minutes to an hour, and we are unfortunately limited to the number of participants. Now, former Vice President Al Gore will give a brief pre-recorded introduction. I know, I tried to get him to sit down and answer some questions, but what can I say? The man is busy. That said, I know you really want to be there to see and hear from me, right? Nothing? Really? Hmm. Silence is never a good answer. Anyway, to those that want to hear both of us, be sure to either sign up on the website or send an email to social at southof2degrees.org. That's social, as in social gathering, at southof2degrees.org. Spots are on a strictly first-come, first-served basis, so sorry, Dad, you can't call up the day before and ask me for a slot. You're in the mix with everyone else. No priorities. Sorry, sir. Again, I have been assured details will be up on the website over the weekend at the latest, so make sure you pop on over. Last thing I'll say with regards to this is that while we obviously can't make a time slot that works for all listeners in every country, if we end up having it in a time that doesn't work for you in your time zone, know that I might be able to pull off a follow-up if there's enough interest. Okay, now on with the show this week. To start, I want to frame the conversation today. Despite being based out of the U.S., this show is meant to 
to be global. You see, despite our little imaginary lines we draw all over the planet called borders, humans are the only ones that respect them. Animals, plants, weather, and climate all could care less about our little crayon marks. As climate and the impending climate crisis has no concern for this construct, we do our best at South of Two Degrees to tailor the show accordingly, as we will all, albeit in different ways, be affected. With that in mind, I want to look at something completely non-Western world specific and look at India, where it is at from a climate perspective, and if it makes sense for them to transition to a green economy. In order to facilitate that conversation, the paper we'll be looking at today is titled India's Potential for Integrating Solar and On and Offshore Wind Power into its Energy System, published just three days ago on the 21st September 2020. So why discuss India? China and the U.S. are both bigger polluters, so why not single out one of them? True, they are. However, keep in mind this is a global crisis and hence a global conversation, as well as India is in a fairly unique position. Take, for instance, the digital revolution. India was able to adapt quicker because it was not limited by old infrastructure. Rather, investments could be made directly in new technology. As an example, in 2017, a reported 83% of India's rural population accessed the internet through mobile devices. Currently, they are number two only behind China in mobile subscriptions. With regards to renewables, in the U.S., for example, the argument is about replacing the old fossil fuel systems so the capital costs of coal-fired plants are often left out of the mix. India, however, is poised not to replace as much as it is to grow. Much like the digital revolution, India is in a position once again as it makes investments in energy to meet the growing demand of its citizens to partially bypass the antiquated fossil fuel technology technologies and move directly to renewables. And that is where our story begins. In 2017, China ranked number one in CO2 emissions at 9.8 gigatons per year. The U.S. in number two at 5.3 gigatons per year in India in the third slot producing 2.5 gigatons per year. Now in 2018, the capacity for power generation in India amounted to 344 gigawatts of which coal accounted for 197 gigawatts or 57%, hydro 14%, wind 10%, gas 7%, and solar 6%, with the balance represented by a combination of biomass at 3% and nuclear at 2%. Further, coal is estimated under the current trajectory to still supply upwards of 50% of the country's energy needs, which are forecasted to quadruple by the year 2047. A think tank for the Indian government set a target of renewable capacity at 175 gigawatts, with 160 gigawatts coming from solar or wind by 2022. This coupled with expected growth would make India's energy mix above its 40% renewables target under the terms of the Paris Agreement. Further, this would reduce their global emissions by 11%. So the question for today is this. Can India move to an even more aggressive renewable energy economy? And if so, what is the right balance? We talked about climate economics a few weeks ago, and accordingly, it should be addressed here. The paper's authors looked at just this, focused specifically on wind and solar, and asked if an 80% renewable capacity was achievable, both physically and financially. In their own words, they state, 
quote, this paper represents for the first time an integrated view of all components of India's electrical system involving wind, solar, hydro, coal, gas, storage, and interregional transmission to meet demand on an hourly basis, end quote. They further note their procedure in stating, quote, we allow for modest expansion of the thermal generator fleet is required to compensate for the intrinsic variability of renewable sources. For investments in the interregional transmission grid to facilitate transfer of power from renewable-rich to renewable-poor regions, and for investments in storage systems to enable transfer of power from times of excess to times of deficit, end quote. Now let me ask you this. When we evaluate using high levels of renewables, such as wind and solar, what's one of our main considerations? Any guesses? It's the reconciliation between the inflexible nature of thermal power systems and the inherent variability of power production from renewables. In layman's terms, the sun doesn't shine every day, but you can't just flick on and off a coal-fired plant with a switch. Isn't that a saying? No? Okay, maybe not. Anyway, this very conundrum has actually cost China approximately 10 billion U.S. dollars, according to another paper published in 2017. In order to resolve this conflict in their analysis, the authors of our main paper today introduce, quote, an integrated renewable energy system planning model designed to co-optimize investments for generation, transmission, and storage expansion with detailed treatment of system operations, considering not only requirements for balancing supply and demand, but also for hourly ramping, reserves, minimal load, and timing involved in startup and shutdown of thermal units, end quote. To facilitate this, they mapped out the entire country for wind on half a degree resolution and for solar on quarter degree resolution. Now, despite what you may think of what I do with my time, I'm not going to sit there and count out how many data points that is. Suffice to say, it's a lot when you're looking at changes in both solar radiation and wind on an hourly basis across an entire year. For reporting, they divided the country into five macro regions, the north, south, east, west, and northeast. So what did they find? Well, the short and sweet is they found a very compelling scenario at 80% commitment to wind and solar. 80%? No way, you exclaim. Well, before you go running off, let me explain how they got there as the results are truly fascinating. In each of the five regions, they looked at a combination of gas, coal, wind, solar, and interregional transmission. Why look at interregional transmission? Well, unlike, say, the Principality of Monaco, where you have a singular weather system, India is, to use a very technical term, big. Jokes aside, when you look at the southern and western regions of India, both onshore and offshore wind account for the vast majority of power, allowing both to export to other regions. However, due to the greater variability of wind in the west, more thermal power would be needed. By contrast, the north, under an 80% renewable scenario, would generate a fair amount of power from solar, but would rely on almost twice the solar capacity in interregional transmissions, where the east would also rely heavily on solar and produce little wind, but due to smaller populations, would be able to export a fair amount of energy generated there. Further, the growth of storage capacity allows for surpluses from one region sent to a more variable region for use even at a later date, especially in the northeast where stored energy would make up nearly 20% of capacity. All that said, in four of the five regions, coal is, unfortunately, critical for baseload power, according to the study, 
ranging from 3 to 16%, depending on the region. Under the 80% renewable scenario, on a national basis, wind is responsible for 58% of the total power consumption, followed by solar at 23 and coal at 15, with minor contributions from hydro, nuclear, and gas. Pretty slick, you might say. But what does it cost? Well, that's another interesting point. If you remember from the beginning of the show, we discussed the unique position India is in. Well, to finally put that in context, if renewables were not deployed to meet projected 2040 demand, 393 gigawatts of coal-fired plants coupled with 34 gigawatts of gas-fired plants would need to be built. Taking a quick dive into the numbers, the authors find, quote, costs for the 80% renewable case break down as follows. Capital investments for wind, solar, and storage, 88.6 billion, 31 billion, and 13.4 billion respectively. Operational costs minor by comparison. And costs for capitalization and operation of coal and gas-fired systems, 30.8 billion. Notably, overall costs for the 80% renewable case are less than the costs identified for the zero renewables reference scenario. 181.8 billion is compared to 233 billion, reflecting the fact that energy resources for wind and solar are free in contrast to the significant fuel and operational costs associated with natural gas and coal-fired power plants at two cents per kilowatt hour and three cents per kilowatt hour respectively. End quote. Did you catch that? Going with an 80% renewables capacity is actually cheaper by just over $50 billion. Now to be fair, If you were to adjust pricing on renewables technology to the highest level of the suggested range, it does end up costing slightly more. Now, some of you might be thinking, hold up, Brian, with increased renewables, you're going to have to increase transmission and storage capacity significantly. And you know what? You'd be right. And the authors looked into this. The cheapest scenario is, surprise, the target placed forth for India under the Paris Agreement, which is 40% renewables, but by less than $20 billion a year than the 80% scenario. So what does India and the world get from going that extra bit? Well, they would cut CO2 by 85% or an incredible 3.4 gigatons per year, which is a 136% reduction from their 2017 levels. Finally, I know you're curious if it's feasible. Despite being both environmentally and financially attractive, it is intimidating to think of the effort required to put in the needed 1,000 gigawatts of wind power and 500 gigawatts of solar, let alone the fundamental shift in the energy system this would cause. But surprisingly, it's not as ridiculous or even as far-fetched as you might think. China has installed 750 gigawatts of renewable over the past decade and plans to expand wind alone to 1,000 gigawatts before the middle of the century. So the real question remains, how badly does India want to show climate leadership? With the U.S. backing out of the Paris Agreement, we have abdicated our role and the world is looking for inspiration with regards to fighting anthropogenic climate change. And according to the findings in this paper, India could very well stand proudly as an example of a commitment to a better planet. That, however is in the hands of my listeners there. So I implore you, go have your conversations and help your country realize the potential it has in fighting against anthropogenic climate change. 
And while that wraps up another episode of South of Two Degrees, be sure to check the website this weekend for information on the private Zoom event hosted by yours truly that we discussed at the top of the show. If you don't want to wait and want to get your name on the list, just shoot us a note at social at southoftwodegrees.org. Oh, and as always in the next week, do this for me. Tell one other person about this show. Have at least one conversation about climate change with someone else. And above all, keep it south of two degrees.